When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Cheeseman Podcast. This is Brendan, your host for the show. As you may have seen in the media and has been mentioned on this podcast and other Spurs providers, Tottenham Hotspur are significantly increasing their ticket pricing for this season. Not only that, there are changes to concessions as well as the changing of categories for certain games. The Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust have organised a protest ahead of the Man United game on Saturday outside the ticket office between 3.45 and 4.45. We're delighted to be joined by Rachel, who is on the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust board, as well as on the Fan Advisory Board. Rachel, it's great to have you back. How are you doing? Hi, I'm fine. It's lovely to be back again with you. Looking forward to talking about um, about all of this uh, really important campaign. Yes, it is incredibly important. And we will talk about football as well. From someone on the fab to someone who's always dressed fab, uh, we are delighted to be joined by Tim Vickery. How are you doing, Tim? Well, lovely to be here. And I'm, I'm looking forward to learning over the next few minutes, especially with the G, Mr. Tracy, F-A-B. I love, I'm loving this. I'm really looking forward to learning over the, over, over the course of this, this podcast. Joining me as co-host as well, uh, not just because he'll contribute incredibly well to this conversation, but there was a significant nationwide power cut in Brazil on Tuesday, and I'm worried it's going to happen again. So it's going to keep me going just in case Tim and I drop off. It's Franco. Hey, there, man. Yeah, I'm totally here if everything goes wrong at your end, aren't I, Brent? But no, I'm uh, looking forward to this chat, something I feel very passionate about. Talked about it on the pod for a while. Um, for me, it's almost like the final straw. Um, so I'll be there Saturday getting ready to protest and stand up for the fans of this great club. Okay, so let's look at the key facts to these ticket price changes. Matchday ticket prices have increased from between £3 and £15 for Category B and C games and between £10 and £17 for Category A games, raising the top price for a single match ticket to an eye-watering £103. Premier League fixtures have been recategorised by the club to include more matches in higher price bands, Tickets in some of the cheaper sections of the stadium have been replaced by higher prices. The increase will generate approximately £2.5 million, which is roughly 0.6% of club income. Also, concessionary pricing areas for younger and older fans are being eroded. Rachel, um, the Trust has traditionally resisted the call for protest, for for action, with plenty of of reason to do so. Through the potential move to Stratford, the ESL debacle. So what is it about this price rises 
that have prompted the Trust to organise a protest this time. Why now? I mean, first of all, I, I would just say, when you say that we didn't protest or be resisting protesting, um, we have protested, but it's just about how you protest. And so, I mean, obviously the Olympic Stadium debacle, we're going to be mentioning a few debacles, I think, in this uh, pod. But um, the, the Olympic Stadium one, that was 2010. So, mm. you know, 13 years ago, the, the trust has changed enormously in that time. The leadership's changed. Um, that was before Cat and Martin's days um, and where we deliberately made ourselves more distant and more independent of the club. Um, with regard to the European Super League debacle, we, we absolutely protested, but we didn't organise rallies. Um, the protests that we did we for example um we we had a demonstration outside the ground um of like-minded people with um fans in football first as the slogan we made a film with um lots and lots of spurs supporters and the local mp um which got a lot of um traction on social media and and in the press um and of course we had a meeting with our fans uh, with sorry but not with our fans with spurs fans but our trust members who uh, almost unanimously supported our motion that we would call for the board to resign. So we most certainly did protest over the ESL, um, but it, of course it folded incredibly quickly. Mm. So we we felt that what we did was appropriate, um, but also that just because it folded didn't mean that we shouldn't record how, how much we were against that. In terms of this... Um, issue and why why are we actually organizing a, 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 a big demonstration and we're asking everybody to get involved it's because we feel that the club have made a choice here this isn't something they had to do they're the ninth richest club in world football they're charging they have been charging the highest ticket prices although they are spread but but um basically the highest prices in the premier league um, overtaken this year by Fulham. You know, congratulations, Fulham. You're now <laughs> that one. Um, but this is not something they needed to do. We are in a cost of living crisis and they quoted their discussions with the trust and the cost of living crisis when they froze season ticket prices. That cost of living crisis hasn't gone away mm. and it doesn't not apply to people who are buying match day tickets rather than a season ticket. And in fact, I mean, I quoted uh, you know, myself um, when I was bringing up my daughter, um, we had no money. I was trying to, you know, I was a single parent getting myself through um, university as well as raising my child and training to be a teacher. We couldn't afford um, a season ticket, but we could afford maybe twice a year to go to Spurs. And my daughter, you know, caught it, thank goodness. She's now a season ticket holder as well. We go to the matches together. You know, it, I used to go with my dad. It's a generational thing. It's really, really important. And we just feel that a, 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 an increase at this time is really just not listening to the room. It's, you know, a drop in the ocean to them. I know 2.4 million might sound like a lot, but their money comes from TV rights, um, from corporate sponsorship from retail you know ticket revenue is is a minute part of their income and there are other ways of doing this and we just feel enough is enough 
you are exploiting the loyalty of fans. We can't just go and support another club. We don't want to. You know, we love the club. We want to feel that you love us as well. Um, and this is something, it's not about Enoch out. It's not about anything else. It's a simple issue. Please think again, stop the price rises and stop exploiting fan loyalty. And that's why we're asking everyone to come along to the demonstration. Well, and the club will defend themselves by saying that they have frozen season ticket prices. But I know that the, the, the supporters trust were heavily involved in those season ticket price freeze negotiations. How hard were those negotiations? Did they, did they want to increase those as well? And do we expect them to increase them next season? Yeah, I mean, the club would say quite a lot of things, um, you know, in, in their defence, um, including they didn't put the season ticket prices up. But yeah, we had to fight really hard on that one. Um, and we were helped, I have to say, by Antonio Conte, Stellini, um, results on the pitch. You know, I think as well as everything that we were saying, I, th I think they just, at, at that timing, um, you know, there really would have been an absolute outcry, which was a point we made um, very very loudly. Mm. Um, you know, the club say they haven't put prices up since the ticket, uh, since the stadium opened. But of course, the issues that you raised at the beginning, Brendan, they have. It's just by rearranging, you know, which seats cost what, um, having, you know, no concessions on the ticket exchange. There are so many ways that the prices are going up, recategorizing the games. You know, Newcastle is now an A match. Category A for Newcastle. Mm. And, um, you know, the groups have come out of C category into B. Um, teams have, sorry. Um, for absolutely no reason other than to put prizes up. I'll come over to you, Tim. You visited the stadium for the first time this May. Uh, what was that experience like? What's, what's, what's your yep. feel towards the new Tottenham Hotspur? Well, I, I loved the stadium. I loved it. I, mean, I, I love the fact that it can be both huge and intimate at the same time. I mm. thought it was, uh, uh, I didn't feel just because it's, it's next door to where we used to be. I didn't feel any, any sense of displacement. Uh, I felt a sense in, in, in that regard of development because the stadium, the old White Hart Lane, right. We loved it, but it was never big enough for a club with, with Tottenham's pretensions. The, the size of the stadium was always a, was always a limitation. Um, but, um, as, Someone really, my culture as a supporter of Tottenham was still like paying on the turnstile. You know, you know, you pay your your four fifty on the turnstile, and and, and you're in. And, and <laughs> I can be accused, and rightly so, of just being out of touch with the modern world. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I'm very happy with that because I see so much of that, that, that this situation as a metaphor for what the country has become. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it, it's it's a model of economics based on on extraction rather than, than production. Uh, and it, it's people who are aware of the price of, of everything and the value of nothing. Because I would imagine this, both of you have made, made the point, in terms of the overall finances of the club, this is not relevant. It's, it's, uh, you lose much more in PR than you gain in, 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 in revenue. It's not relevant. So how on earth has this happened? And I can only imagine that it's a case of like, line managers and and someone down the line in the ticketing process having a target to reach you know and he's 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 got a he's got to up revenue by x and if he does that then then he then he's done his job and that really is the price of of, of everything and the value of nothing 
because the consequences of that for the essence of the club are disastrous because mm. you're turning away people who've been there generation after generation after generation uh, and uh, in in a stadium with that capacity that just isn't necessary and if we were still dealing with somewhere where you can only have 35,000 then all right you want to compete with, with 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 the best then maybe there'd be a justification but when you've got a stadium of this size surely it's in the long term mm. it's good business sense to cultivate those people who have always been the essence of the club uh, and and so uh, it and it's it's it seems to me that maybe history will judge the moment when Abramovich came in as at Chelsea as the moment when the train left the station and and since then the work the the, the excellent work that the trust and and, and fab it's it's limited to trying to humanize the owners. Uh, and I would have hoped that when they make such an unbelievably stupid mistake as a Super League, that gives more leverage to people like Rachel. To what extent do you think that leverage still exists, Rachel? Do you think that, that, that that's still there? Or have, have they, they, they kind of forgotten that? Move on. Let, let's go to the, the balance sheet of the next year and see how much we can extract. And that's a really good question. It, it, it's, I, I think I have to believe that there is still, still some leverage or, or there is no point doing, doing this role. Um, they've set up a fan advisory board and they've you know, heralded it. This is, a, this is obviously di as a direct result of the European Super League debacle and the fan-led review. And I was lucky enough to be part of the trust um, delegation that spoke to the, the panel at Parliament and, you know, put the case. And obviously we argued to have um, a fan on the board and that wasn't included in the um, in the arrangements. But, you know, there, there is more teeth now to um, the fan advisory board. The trust were absolutely an integral part of negotiating for the way the, the fab is. And I think it, there's, a, there's quite a good balance between the trust working on a whole range of issues with the club on a day-to-day -day basis, because we have such an overall knowledge. We have a lot of um, you know, expertise on the trust about ticketing, for example, and, and um, all, all sorts of issues that affect supporters. But, uh, and of course, um, the, the Football Supporters Association, who we work with so closely, can really help us. But the Fan Advisory Board is a fantastic opportunity representing a, a diverse range of um, football supporters and groups. Um, but we've got to make sure that it isn't just a PR exercise, that you know, it's not just tick, tick box, tick box, making decisions about nice but not crucial issues and it's really down to the people on the on the fab to make sure that you know we that we are heard and i think we're at a crossroads really i can't answer your question so i, I can't i can't think of many issues that are more important than this one yeah no so th th this is a measuring rod of yes the the, the, the amount of, of of power that you have yes and i think um when you know, when the debacle, the ESL debacle happened and I'm, and one of the documents was leaked, I'm not sure that it was Spurs or whether it was the six,
but they talked about legacy fans as though, you know, we can we know we can rely on legacy fans. It's the new global market that we need to attract. Yeah. And we, I still have um, have that in my uh, Twitter handle, or, or certainly on the bio. I I am a legacy fan, and I'm proud to be one. And they should be looking after the legacy fans. It's the legacy fans that make the club what it is. Can, can, I, can I make a point here, just in, in, in the light of recent developments? Because I would hope that that argument is strengthened all the more as a consequence of recent developments in Saudi Arabia. Because yeah. Saudi Arabia, if, if you buy all of the leading golfers, you buy golf. But if you buy lots and lots of big-name footballers, you don't buy football because football no. is different. And the thing that Saudi Arabia cannot bring to the table, the differential, is a legacy fan. Yeah. So I, I, would, I would hope that that's an argument that can strengthen your case. I love that, and I'm writing it down. <laughs> <laughs> there we go, Tim. No, it's, it's a really good point. Um, and like we say about the legacy fans, but also the the, the, the next generation that are coming through. Uh, one thing that sort of really irks me about the situation at the moment is I know West Ham are in a different situation with their stadium, but they've managed to offer children's or kids' season tickets for something like 300, 400 pounds. Now, obviously, we don't get anywhere near that at Spurs. And, and what's what's the issue um, in terms of sort of the concessions and what the club are doing, have done around that, Rachel? Yeah, I mean, concessions... I don't know if you remember, but when we first were making all the plans to move into the new stadium, mm -hmm. um, we, we received lots of sort of glossy documents and it was basically telling us that there would be a, a huge number of different price points um, at different areas of the stadium. And we all had mm -hmm. to think carefully about where we wanted to sit because, um, apart from anything else, concessions would be applied up to a certain price point, which I think was 1100 at that point. Right. Um, so we were advised by the club that if we were nearing age of, uh, you know, pension, pensionable age, um, that we would choose seats where if we, if we needed to have um, a cheaper seat, that we would choose seats in those blocks. And lots of people did. Lots of people also didn't and didn't sort of read that part of it and have since moved from where they have traditionally sat with their friends and family. And they've moved away from them into the cheaper blocks mm. only to be told, oh, no, we've sold out of concessionary tickets in this block, um, that we've reached the cap. What cap? I mean, at the time, the trust argued strongly, and we still argue, that the ticket price should be on the person not on the ticket mm -hmm. wherever you are there should be a concession of whatever rate on your price on your seat if you are a child if you're a young adult and if you're a senior but that has been eroded I mentioned earlier the ticket exchange that's gone um, I know that a lot of official supporters clubs find it really difficult to when they're given their window they can't get concessionary prices so their children and young adults are often having to pay full adult prices. So it, it's sort of all over the place. And again, it, it's who are you pricing out? We, mm. we need young people there. We need people to make a noise. The other thing I know that the club are quite happy to do is that uh, one of my friends, uh, his, his son comes with him, they've got tickets next to each other. When he sells his tickets on the exchange, he sells obviously the child tickets, gets renumerated. 
for that amount, half price or whatever it is, but then they're quite happy to sell that ticket on at full price. So the club <laughs> are yeah. even happy to make that extra bit of money on people's tickets. It's just yeah, ludicrous. Well, the club will, in the, in the club's opinion, they'll sell those tickets, the tickets anyway. But we do see an increasing number of tourists at games, which is great to see. We are an inclusive club. But I, I remember watching the, listening to, to the Brazilian Shirt Name podcast last week, Tim, uh, when you had... A colleague of yours from the BBC, Simon, who's now in Australia, is a Man City fan. And he summed it up really well. He sort of said that he's blue to the marrow. He's a Man City fan from the 80s. And that he said that when you love your club to your very core, that is what makes football special. That's the difference between football and other sports. And, mm-hmm. and when you remove that or reduce that from the match-going fans... That's obviously going to impact on the atmosphere, and because the tourists, if on mass, a lot of them will not know the the songs. They won't have that familiarity of people around them that, that we do as fans. So to deprive someone who loves the club genuinely to their very fibre uh, by pricing them out of going, yeah. I mean, also the concessionary changes. Uh, it should be to the person, like how how it can be to the seat is 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 crazy. I took my son to the cinema yesterday to see Oppenheimer, and he paid half, obviously because he's a child. It's it's the equivalent of the cinema saying to me, "Oh no, he can't pay half price because we've sold out of children's books." What what industry does that work in? Like, do do other clubs operate that way? There are a range of of strategies, but no, not not as far as we know. We've sort of certainly asked through the Football Supporters Association, and no, this isn't a, a common thing at all. But it's really hard to pin down actually what is the the policy. They're not, you know, it's not written anywhere. We're not seeing mm. this. Um, it seems to be sliding in. Hoping well, they don't they don't disclose ticket numbers, do they? Either. So you've got no idea how many of each tickets are available. Is that right? Yeah, it, I mean, th- there's a lot of. Um, yeah, a lot of things are are difficult to know. And for example, like away ticket allocations, we won't go into all that now, but um, you know, it's hard to know how many tickets are actually being sold. We often get, we get quite a lot of mail on that yeah. um, for the away prices. But yeah, it it, it just seems so incredibly short-sighted. And, and as Bren was saying, you know, yes, we do want people from all around the world. We, I mean, I, I had one guy next to me one match because the two seats next to me often are different people. And mm. he was clearly from South Korea. It was the first time he'd been to the stadium. He was gutted that Sonny wasn't playing, um, as you can imagine. Yeah, but he came on and he scored, I think he scored twice. And this guy who was singing all the Spurs songs, he'd learnt them all, he was crying literally. <laughs> crying his eyes out when Sonny got the yeah. winner. So absolutely welcome. I mean, you know, that was fantastic that he was there. But there are yeah. others when when they come in, they aren't watching the game even. You know, they're they're just taking mm. selfies, they go off and have their meal or beers or whatever, you know, halfway through the first half. They come back halfway through the second half. You know, they're just they're just there because it's something to do. It's like like going to the theatre or something, you know, mm. they don't mm. That, and that's useless. You know, all the money and the research that Daniel Levy put in to having an atmosphere in that stadium where the supporters are by the pitch, it's steeply ranked, the actual fabric of the building is great for acoustics, wonderful for concerts, um, but absolutely useless if you've got the wrong people in a football crowd. 
and you're playing the wrong football. Well, this is it. And then when you look at some of the ticket prices for the concerts and the boxing and the other events they have, I think that's the problem is that they're seeing how much money people are willing to pay for these different events in a stadium. So it's almost like, well, football, we're not, we're not really making as much money as we could. I think that probably plays on their mind a little bit. I don't know. It, it's 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 middle, middle management paradise, isn't it? What you can measure, you can manage. So what what is the measurable here? The measurable is the revenue that we can extract from this 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 particular space, yeah. uh, and I would imagine that that's how people's careers are being are being judged. But obviously, that's as as, as we've we've heard explained, that's ludicrously short sighted, you know. And Sonny is not going to play for Tottenham forever. You know, no. the, 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 this was the thing I was struck with in May at the Palace game. Just a number of of, of people from some South Korea, brilliant, welcome. But you're not that, that it's not a sustainable business model, is it? No, because no. he's not going to be there forever. No. Um, but if you if you get people who are identifying with the club, as Rachel, you did with your daughter, you've got them forever. And in the long term, not only is it more human, it's better business. Yeah, but it's harder to manage. And therein, I think, lies the problem in the business structure. Mm. No, agreed. Rachel, you mentioned that the, the trust met with the club regularly pre-COVID and that these meetings haven't started up again. Uh, has, has there been any movement from the club in, in meeting with the trust or uh, even sort of putting the fan advisory board to the side? Have they been engaging with the trust on these matters? Um, the, the meetings did stop during COVID, but it wasn't because of COVID. It oh. was because, here we go again, European Super League debacle. Um, we called for the board to resign and that was the moment that the meeting stopped um, mm. at, at a board to board level. We still um, have access and always have had access to um, directors of the club, um, Donna Cullen particularly, um, the finance people as well. And we have always worked on an operational level, you know, on a daily basis with um the supporter liaison officer, ticketing, um, all the sort of away trip planning, European trips particularly, catering, stewarding. Um, we, you know, we we do a lot of work with the club and always have done, but we've um, we we do not have the board to board level meetings anymore. And that we are fighting um, to reinstate that, but basically, at the moment they are um, saying let you know we'll do it through the fan advisory board. And then there are um, two meetings a year between the trust and Donna Cullen, between the trust officers and Donna Cullen, where they sort of shape the year ahead. But I think one of the things that um, our members used to really value was the chance for them to put their questions directly to Daniel Levy. Um, and we, we did give every single one to him uh, back in the days when we could. Um, and something that we've really um, argued for, and I think um, I think they are open um, probably to this, is to have a fan event um, sort of co-hosted by the trust and the fan advisory board, where fans can have access to Daniel Levy and and ask him questions, and and also to Ange and our new. Wonderful captain, the sunny. That's not just the Oxford Union. Was it, was it the Cambridge Union? Did, did you watch that? I, I just found it fascinating. I thought it was extraordinary. I mean, again, it was just what message that gives to Spurs supporters. 
you know, mm. that you prepared to do that and answer loads of questions quite openly and honestly and everything, but you wouldn't meet your own fans. And the thing is that that way, greater and greater gulfs are created between, you know, the club or the leadership of the club and the supporter base. And actually, you know, they had a fantastic event back in the Pochettino days um, of a, you know, it was um, Hugo Poch and um, Daniel Levy hosted by Nihal from uh, Radio 5. And it was such a great event. And even though obviously he's really anxious about what he's going to get asked, you know, I mean, they are, they're hosting it. You know, I'm quite sure they can make sure that they get some honest, you know, quite hostile questions that he can answer. You know, come on, he's paid enough. He, he can come up with a good answer, I'm quite sure. Um, but at least communicate. The more you sort mm. of shut yourself away, um, the worse it gets. Has there been any indication from the club that they'll reverse or, or at least reduce this decision? Because, I mean, we, we, we have support from other clubs. We mentioned West Ham Supporters Trust. I think maybe Newcastle, Wolves. Wolves, Man City particularly. Um, um, because Man City, of course, have a lot of, they, they're doing a lot of campaigning around um, ticket prizes and travel and, and fans as well. But um, yes, I mean, the Football Supporters Association are really, really strong um, on these kind of issues. And sometimes when you want real change to happen in football, you have to go that way. So, for example, um, with the return of safe standing, we were right at the front of that. But the Football Supporters Association made sure that it was um, you know, worked on with the Premier League and with um, stadiums across across the Premier League. Um, similarly, the cap on away prices, because I don't know if you remember, a few years ago, mm. they were becoming astronomical. You know, it was like £60 to go to the other end of... Um, yeah, Hull or Huddersfield or somewhere like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wigan, that Wigan. I think Wigan was 65 quid once. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um when we had our first fan advisory board meeting, everybody on the on the board uh, from the supporter side insisted that we have this put onto the agenda. So it was discussed. It was the first thing we discussed. And everybody on the fan advisory board was unanimous that this should be opposed. Um, it was agreed that it would get taken back to the executive board after a lot of um, discussion. And all I can say is the prices are still as they are. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. Tim, where do you think this is taking us in terms of the game? You mentioned Saudi Arabia and the ownership of clubs. Is this an indication of how club owners will run clubs from now on? Well, I, I, I fear that it is. Uh, and I always thought that the moment that the thing loses its soul is the moment when the next generation of players can't get into the stadium. But I think we've, and we've passed that moment. And mm. uh, I think it's, that's extremely sad, and I don't know how we get it back. I, I honestly don't. You know, I think Rachel and others like you at clubs all around the country are, are doing a fantastic job, but with very, very limited le leverage. You know, the, the, the mission is to try and humanise as much as possible uh, a machine that no longer sees itself as a club in any social sense, but sees itself as a provider of content for the global entertainment industry. Uh, and... Uh, as, as I, I said earlier on, I think maybe there's just a chink of opportunity now with Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia will try, but it will stand out for what it doesn't have. And what it doesn't have 
I don't think because I mean, the, the the TV transmissions are excellent from the Premier League, not just because of the players, or even the quality of the pitches. They're excellent because the stadiums with the fans right up close. Yeah. And you see, so you are watching an event wherever you are in the world and you are seeing that this event really means something to these people. And I'm not sure Saudi Arabia will be able to do that. Uh, I know there are some big traditional clubs in Saudi Arabia, but nothing like what what we have. So I, I think that that can become our selling point. The, le- the, the legacy, if you like, is our selling mm. point. Think of, think of Tottenham against Man United on Saturday. Those two clubs. It's the two glory, glory clubs. It's the most glamorous club of the North against the most glamorous club of the South. That, that thing of that, that collective identity, that means something. That means that you, if you're going to the game or United fans, you're all traveling down to the game. In the hope and expectation, you're going to see something of real magic that's worthy of the tradition of these, these collective institutions, these clubs. Mm. And this is the thing that Saudi Arabia cannot reproduce. It's a thing that English football has. And maybe, just maybe, coming under external threat from Saudi and maybe from what might happen in, in, in the Americas, maybe that might force some of these people to think about what they have and not destroy what they have in the bid for short-term profit. Okay, so the protests will be outside the ticket office on Saturday, 3.45 till 4.45 p.m. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, on Saturday. We, you know, we obviously really hope that lots and lots of people will come and join us. It's, a, it's, a, it's not an Enoch out, Levy out um, type demonstration. We hope people will of all um, persuasions will come to the demonstration. It's a single issue demonstration. It is about these ticket price increases and it's about exploiting loyalty. There'll be, um, I think there will be a lot of fans there because you know it's been really, really supported by all the other groups that we work with. Um, and you know, certainly the, the sort of stories that we're receiving um, on on social media are are really moving, and I think it's I think it really has struck a chord, and that everybody just thinks you know en- enough is enough on this one. We really do have to all, all speak up, but it's it's for an hour. Um, it's uh, it, you know we're not going to be doing any um, sort of offensive chanting or anything like that. It's it's um, it's going to be polite, but it's going to be really loud, and this is just the beginning. Um, mm. of a process it's not this isn't the end this is just the first um first demonstration yeah i think it's going to be a, a good turnout if one is racial i think obviously there's been planned protests by various sort of fan organized things on twitter over the last sort of six months of the season last year you heard a bit more yeah. vocal sort of calls for the chairman and the board to leave within the stadium but that was sort of a single issue of we just, you know, it's just an angry, we want the chairman and the board out, wasn't it? Whilst mm. I think this is going to get traction because like you say, it's a single issue and you've given suggestions about how to remedy the situation, which is always important, isn't it? Because you can't just say we don't like something without offering them a sort of a tangible way out yeah. of the situation. Yeah. That's so I think right. what you've done and, and, and the sort of the, 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 the comms that you put out 
were really good, really measured, really sensible, as I think that they have been in the past. Um, so I'm just really hopeful that the club can listen to this because the, the, on the back of last season, on the back of the disharmony amongst certain parts of um, our fan base, the fact that this is going to show the club how much of the fan base are opposed to this, I think it's going to be really important. It's certainly been done in the tone of uh, how to make friends and influence people, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, Jesus, says, if you're going to the game, do join the protest to stop exploiting loyalty, stop ticket price increases. Let's get the message out there. They have to listen to us. This is the key. This is how we get them to listen. On to the game itself. We do have Man United as our first mm-hmm. home game. Tim, actually, this is the first time you've been on since and joined What's your impress- first impressions of the new appointment? I, I, I mean, I love him. Uh, how, how are you feeling about, about Ange? Better. Better. Uh, I mean, I, I thought there were three disastrous appointments in a row. And yeah. I said that before, you know, <laughs> any, any of their teams have kicked a ball. I, I just didn't understand. No. Uh, and I think the people in charge didn't understand the collective identity of of the club. Um and I met him once. This is going back a long, long time. Uh, I don't know if you remember that Club World Cup, the kind of mm. pioneer ish, uh, edition that happened in Rio at the start of 2000, when Man United came over. They had to miss the yeah. FA Cup because of it. Yeah. yeah. He was the coach of the uh, South Melbourne, mm. um, the champions of Oceania, who were actually a Greek club. I'm not sure they exist in the professional Australian league now because they've they've kind of tried to phase out those ethnic clubs. And I, I met him the, the day of the draw for that competition. Uh, I met him and because he was one of the few coaches who could speak English, I grabbed him for an interview with the World Service, <laughs> which we used to do down the phone. And you'll know, Brendan, that the old style street phones here, they're called big ears because the, the, the phone, in order to be able to hear anything, you've, the, the covering, the plastic covering is like a, is like a big ear. So I got, I got him in one of those. And as he's talking to me, as he's giving an answer, he didn't half bang his head on the plastic cover. <laughs> really? And give him credit, carried straight on. What a, what a pro, what a trooper. So I liked him from then, you know, <laughs> vaguely, just because of that incident, I've kind of vaguely followed his career ever since. Uh, I, I, there, there, are, there are things there that I think we needed so badly. Mm. He's a top bloke. Mm. You know, he just comes across as a, as a, as a top bloke. Uh, and, oh, hallelujah, glory, glory, hallelujah, he wants to play football in the opposition's half of the field. Yeah. Uh, whether he can, he can, especially, especially in a situation where he just lost the un, the undoubted world class player. Whether mm-hmm. w- whether this is going to work, I don't know. But my again from afar, so I say this with humility. All of you are much much closer to this than I am. I would see the objective now. Forget about the silverware and all that. You know, hopefully that will come. But for me, the absolute priority is for the club to get in touch with its historic identity. Uh, and I can see an attempt to do that. Uh, and, you know, even if it's finishing ninth or tenth over the next couple of years, but playing with a little, a little bit of swagger, a little bit of style, and you can see some progress, that for me will be, will, will be okay. 
Is 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 that a widespread feeling among the fan base, or am I am I not all of them? That one? Not all of them. I think the, the the fan base is split from what you can tell on social media. Anyway, I think generally most people for the last few seasons have been bored. I've certainly struggled doing certain podcasts where you just there's nothing positive to talk about. You're like, yeah, we sort of we got through that. We won two one somehow, <laughs> like, mostly because of something like Harry Kane or Son or something like that. And I think just watching the first few games in pre-season and the game last weekend where the ball was predominantly at our players' feet and it was in the opposition half is what we've all been calling out for. You know, Poch tried to play in that way a little bit and I know there's subtle differences in the tactics and the way they play, but it's it's the, you know, that feeling of we're trying to win a football match rather than we're trying to not lose and, and snatch a football match, which I think the fans have, you know, been struggling with. There's always the call for trophies because it's just been such a long time, and we've you know we're a club with a great history of winning trophies. Um, I don't think we've quite come to terms as a fan base uh, with the re reality of football and how money does <laughs> win you things. I think that's been an issue, but that's the problem with the new stadium. We were promised that this will be our opportunity to compete with the big clubs, and we're not quite seeing that yet. So I think at the, the bare minimum, we need to get back to playing the sort of football we want to see. So I agree with that, Tim. It's a start. Um, but, you know, I've got faith in Ange. I really do. I think he seems like a really top bloke. He's been successful wherever he's been. So, you know, the, the only thing the club could do is sell our best player to try and make it hard for him, right? <laughs> Rachel, you were at the Shakhtar game and you mentioned to me, I think in, in WhatsApp, that yeah. just the atmosphere was different just from the way we were playing yes. and the engagement with the fans. The fans were just so happy to see front foot football. Do you uh, hope he to, to, to see the same against Man United? And would you think that uh, we'll have the, the, that difference in atmosphere? Yeah, I mean, having said that, I also said that I didn't um, get the feeling that Harry was about to leave. So, ignore me. Basically, um, it, yeah, I wasn't. I was actually. My seat was really near um, where the managers were. So, because because um, on those sort of games, you can choose where you want to sit, um, and they're all the same price, which is a great idea. But yeah. Um, yeah so when I I've forgotten the question, Brent. <laughs> What did you ask me? <laughs> but just, just seeing the change in atmosphere based on the football on show, just oh, again, yes. just seeing front foot football. Yeah, yeah, totally. So the fans that were there were absolutely up for it and really positive. It was a lovely, lovely atmosphere in the concourses, in the stadium. Um, everybody, you know, when when um, Ange came out and, you know, did his first sort of round of applause, everybody was you know, incredibly supportive. The only thing I disagreed with you on, Tim, is the, yes, it's okay if we finish ninth or 10th for a couple of years. We, we, Spurs fans are not that patient. It wouldn't be okay. Um, we need European football anyway. So mm, I, and I, I also, the way I felt was, I'm not going to say that anybody was a bully, but what I am going to say is that the feeling that I was getting from the players was of people who felt free again. They were sort of, they looked like their, you know, shoulders back. They were ready to go for a new season and feeling happy. I, I really felt that there was this sort of happiness on the pitch, which you, it's only when you see it again that you realise it, it just wasn't there. People were playing through terror, I think. Mm. Um, terror or, you know, who knows where it was from. 
it was a really difficult season for the players with four different managers at different times um, and a, obviously a big bereavement at the club as well. And the atmosphere from the stands was understandably pretty awful. And we weren't giving, by the end of the season, we were just, you know, can this awful season end? Um, and they must all have known that Harry was wanting to leave as well. Um, and I actually think that, yeah, we had three terrible managerial appointments. I agree, Tim. Um, you know, Mourinho, how could that ever have worked with a, with a club like ours, unless you were going to completely change and buy the sort of players that he would need? We didn't. Um, it, it couldn't work. Mm. Uh, and I think that actually Harry leaving now, of course, of course no one wants to lose their best player. But if he's going to go, maybe now isn't the worst time because the new manager can do his thing and work knowing who he's got um, and work to the players that, that he will have. What is disappointing, obviously, is that over the last four years, we've regressed to the point that our star player feels that there's no viable alternative but to leave. Hmm. But seeing his interviews since he's left, he's so happy to have gone. I've kind of got over it. Also, uh, the Man United game will see the return of the White Hart Lane drum. Tim, did, did you know this was the drum was happening? Did you know this was coming back? No, no. Excellent. <laughs> but, but, but there is a caveat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's being moderated by the club. <laughs> Do you think he's got like a walkie-talkie and they're like, right, you can drum now, you can drum now, drum but apparently it's not it's not going to be continuous like it's not going to disrupt you from you know having a chat that's what they said isn't it it's actually a question from one of our patrons rufus rachel was the trust involved in the return of the drum and how on earth is the club going to police the drum i mean it's extraordinary how communication works with the club because we were involved with a focus group and return of the shelf who's been doing a lot of work on this um, THFC flags. You know, there's there's lots of groups who have, are doing a lot of work to to help with the atmosphere. The the drum, the return of the drum, has always been, I would say, about Brexit level um, percentages, same as leaving out sort mm, of percentages. Right. Very very mixed response. Um, and we basically helped to formulate the survey that was sent to all match-going fans. Th those results haven't actually been communicated back to us formally, so I can't confirm that um, the drum's coming back. I I'm getting this from various WhatsApp groups, um, and I assume that the club are going to have a conductor, are they, who are going to say, now, now, yeah, now you can do it. Um, no, zip it. Um, Who's going to be sitting next to this person? And did they know that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> who is the person? And I also hear talk of a bugle. In Tottenham. The Tottenham bugle. Mm. As long as she's not doing the last post. comment. <laughs> yeah. No, in fairness, though, the drum did used to sort of create some atmosphere and get people going back in the days where it was quite a difficult sort of game to watch than he sort of tried to, to but there were some games where the drum would start and the, the football was so bad <laughs> the yeah. fans just wouldn't carry on anyway so yeah, yeah um, it's still it's good to be back there's a you know big tifo at the start it's going to be the first game back i think it's going to be good atmosphere at the weekend um just hope the football doesn't spoil it as we always say 
Yeah. Well, United haven't started well. They uh, they stole a win against Wolves with that crazy VAR decision with the Anana clothesline. Um, their midfield of Mount and Fernandez it just doesn't look like it's working. Hopefully, a rejuvenated Spurs with Bissouma and Madison in midfield. We should boss that midfield, Tim. I wanted to, to ask you about the South American contingent, particularly Davinson Sanchez, because was he's come in for a lot of stick uh, previously under the last few managers because we were playing low block. Mm. It wasn't playing to his strengths. But when he came on for Romero, when he got that concussion, which again uh, just showed Ange in his glory, that just that Ange handled it incredibly well. He was like, look, this is not my decision. This is not the player's decision. This is a decision for the doctors. Um, but but on, on Davinson, do you think that, because when he came on, he played really well. Uh, do you think that he has a future at the club under Angeball? I do, I do, because he, he, there, there is a player there, uh, and he was he was signed for a reason, and he's quick, uh, yeah. and that that asset will be much more in evidence. Now we're defending higher up the pitch. Yeah. You know, you, you you don't want him defending close to his own goal. You don't want that. That, that, that that's that, that's the throwing to the Lions. But higher up the pitch, mistakes that he makes, he's still got the time to get back and, 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 and put it right. Uh, and I would hope that this is something that Ange will be will be very good at, giving him mm. confidence. Fresh start, so. giving him confidence. And yeah. it's it's not it's not really a fan base historically that's known for turning on players to that extent. Uh, one of the things I hope this still happens, actually. But one of the things I always loved is, you know, most clubs when former players come back, they just get booed remorselessly. Yeah. I always think that's really stupid, you know. And and usually with Tottenham, it was always the case of a warm welcome for our old friend, you know. Mm. Uh, and I, I'm, one of the few games I've been at the last few years, it was still at Wembley. It was Stoke and Peter Crouch came back, yeah. Uh, and he, he he got a lovely reception, you know. And I I, I love that. And yeah, you know, over the years, uh, players have, have been have been picked out. Venables was picked out when uh, w- w- when he played there. John Pratt was kicked out. Was picked was was picked on, you know, uh, and dealt with it brilliantly. John Pratt. He said, "Well, if they're picking on on, on me, they're 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 leaving, letting the rest go by. So that's fine by me." You know, dealt with it fantastically. Gary Stevens got 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 some of it as well, and 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 had had to play through that. Um, but it, it usually it's not a cruel crowd, and I hated that booing that he got. I really hated it. Mm. Uh, so I, I hope that that people can can rally to him, uh, and I hope that now we're defending higher up the pitch, his his pace, which is his greatest asset as a defender, mm. I think, as a big defender, um, will be more in evidence, and you, you'll see more of the good side of him than the bad. Yeah, I think there's two things there. I think whilst they get booed, it's the same with Eric Dyer. I think it's because they're players that they think the club should have moved on and they've had opportunities to do so, but they should have done and they haven't. And it's almost booing the fact that they're still at the club to play. But I think out of all the defenders we've got as backup, Sanchez, like you say, because of his pace and because of the system we play, is probably the most suited. <clears throat> so I can see that he'll be playing. I mean, he was doing Cruyff turns <laughs> as the last man at the weekend. <laughs> so Andrew's probably instilled some confidence in him mm-hmm. if he's doing that. Um, but what about the rest of the South Americans? Because obviously Harry's left a big gaping hole up front and we've got the main Brazilian man Richarlison to fill well, those boots. Harry you have to replace with two players don't you yeah and that's Madison and Richarlison I yeah. couldn't understand why we bought Richarlison I said this at the time 
I can't see where he, where he was going to fit in because the aspects of the side that had been working back into the previous season was the front three. You know, with, with, with Harry between uh, Sonny and I always call him cooler shaker because it's just easier, you know. <laughs> uh, and so you think, well, where is he going to go? Because his yeah. obvious position there in that formation is, is, is Sonny's position. Because he, he, can't, he can't really do much setting up the play. Richardson, no. he's a he's a racehorse with blinkers, front to goal. That's what he is. Mm. Uh, that's why he's been very successful for for Brazil. You know, Brazil had plenty of people making making the bullets, and he would he, he would fire them. Mm. So now you're hoping that he can build that relationship with with with, with Madison. It's a huge season for him. I think a really really big season for him. To, but at least now he's got the chance because now you know what his role is in the team. It's clear how, how he fits in the team now. Uh, and, and this, for me, is the, the biggest question mark and the most important one. How is that relationship between Madison and, and Richarlison going to, um, going to develop? If it works, he can, he can score goals. The, the, one, the thing I like about him is that he's a, he's a, he's a big personality. Mm. Uh, and it, it won't bother him that he had a bad season last time around. And he'll, he'll, he's, he's not going to hide. Um, so that that about him, I like. As Ange <clears> has <throat> kind of come out and said, and I said this at the time when he was bought and got a shitload of abuse from Tottenham fans, apparently I'm part of the worldwide conspiracy against Tottenham Hotspur. Vélez yeah. is one for the long term. There's not a lot there, you know. There's, mm. there's, I, I saw your uh, an interview you did, Tim, and my yeah. heart sank. <laughs> yeah, well, it, and it might be. It might be. But this, and, and Ange said this. He said, you know, you ain't going to see him first part of the season. Okay. Yeah, you know, he's, he's, it's a huge step up, and, he, and he's going to need time to do it. So that that's that's a long term solution. Rather, he might surprise us, but I think Ange is is, is aware of of what they're getting there. They're getting mm. a really untried nineteen year old from. Unfortunately, the Argentine league is very weak these days because it's selling to the, the states and Brazil as well as all the usual places that it, that, that it sells to. Yeah. Um, so Vélez. Um, we'll have to see. The one who really surprised me, and I didn't see all of the Brentford game because I, I was broadcasting during it. Uh, and my broadcasting position is the TV's to the back, so it's hard to broadcast and watch at the same time. Um, but the one who amazed me from, was, and the way he was he was using with, with lots of width, he was using Emerson Royale cutting in. Mm. Uh, and I've never seen him do that before. You know, no. A Brazilian fullback or wingback who you know just keeps the pitch big, bombs down the wing. And I didn't understand his being bought because in that Conte scheme, the wing backs are absolutely vital. You know, mm. they've, they've got so much riding on them and I don't think he was good enough to do it. So, you know, he didn't really come off, but it was really interesting to see him in that role, cutting in. Mm. Uh, I, I have maybe the other fellow, maybe Pedro Porro can do that even better. Um, but that that was interesting to me to see because that was something I'd never seen from the player before him drifting in into those positions and I think yeah. we can see from from the goal that it that Brentford weren't expecting it either. No, I think that's the idea of the tactic, isn't it? It puts players into positions where they're not yeah the, the opposition are expecting them to be. Him and Udogi, Udogi looks like a really good player as well. I've been quite impressed with some of the signings this this season, must be said, but. Up front, it does concern me because, like you said, Valise isn't going to be ready. Apart from that, we've got Dane Scarlett, who's a similar age, similarly yeah. unproven. 
Um, a lot is riding on Richarlison this year. And I've seen Brendan's uh, Brazilian Supporters Trust uh, WhatsApp groups aren't too pleased with Richarlison either. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, they're brutal. Brazil Spurs WhatsApp group is pretty brutal <laughs> towards Richarlison because they're Brazilian. They're winners. They're used to winning. Um, and Tim, actually, you did the Brazil Spurs podcast recently. So thank you for that. But yeah, but Brazilians, they're, they're super demanding. Uh, and I'm the English guy defending <laughs> defending Richarlison. Uh, but the Brazilians are tearing into him. But do you think that, I mean, you said, Tim, that, um, you know, you have to replace Kane with two players and, and yeah. the Madison-Richarlison relationship is going to be so important. A against Brentford, there were two or three where Madison put these balls through and they were so close Um Richarlison was so close to getting on them, but he didn't. Do, do you think that we still need to sign another striker, though? Point's been made, you know, with Scala and, and, and Veliz. Mm. And you, there's the possibility of playing Sonny there, isn't there? Mm. And he, he, I suppose, is, is, is the reserve centre-forward now. Yeah. I, yeah. I worry about how much ground he's going to have to cover. You know, yeah. because he, he, he really did track back, didn't he? Mm. Uh, there's there's perhaps the possibility of of playing Perisic where he's playing and playing Sonny inside if if Richarlison get gets injured, but yeah you're right it is a it is a bit thin up top isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Alfie Devine, what's because I, mean, I saw him playing for the England under twenties mm. the, the under twenty World Cup and he looked great. I really like the look of of, of Alfie yeah. Devine. I wonder yeah. if he's worth if he's, he's if he's worth an opportunity. Well, this is it. We don't know where, how, sort of, what appetite Ange's got for playing the youngsters. But you're right. There's a few that are going to be banging on the door now um, from that youth set up. There's a few good players in there. It just depends whether they're going to fit in, I suppose. Um, he's obviously played skip from the start, so he quite, you know, likes to use the young, the young talent. Um, I think yeah, he's just got I've, I've got to get over the, the sale of Harry Winks. Harry Winks, we're from the same place, and uh, he, he went to a school that I went to as well. So he was yeah. he was my representative on the field. So I'm I'm sad that he's gone. Well, yeah. you still get to see him play. That's a, yeah. <laughs> didn't go far, but that way. I think um, one of the things about Ange, though, is that I mean he's made it really clear with his leadership structure that mm. it's everybody has got to be leaders, and the young, you know, the youngest person at the club can still be a leader by by the way they behave. With attack, it's attacking waves rather than get the ball to Harry, whatever you do. Mm. Um, and I do think it's a much more about collective responsibility, which is a really good thing. And in actual fact, when I was at the Shakhtar game, um, I mean, obviously, you know, who stood out? Harry Kane, four goals. You know, he was brilliant. But, um, you know, Madison was fantastic, as, as he was against Brentford. But I thought what was rather beautiful about the whole thing was that Harry does his four goals, comes off, and then, um, oh my Jane God, Scarlett. Uh, sorry, Jane Scarlett, Jane Scarlett, yeah. sorry, Scarlett um, comes on and gets a beautiful goal right at the mm -hmm. end. Nice. And I just think it's a real shame that we aren't in a European tro um, competition because those players would have been given more chances. Yeah, I, but, I remember coming back one year and, and going to a. Uh, Europa League game, and everyone around me was saying, "Yeah, it's Harry Kane. He's the Thursday night striker." <laughs> yeah, for but one how season. important those Thursday nights were yeah. making him the, the the Saturday, Sunday, Monday, whatever day you want striker. Yeah, interesting. On the subject of leadership, Tim, that Rachel mentioned, we do have a new vice captain in Christian Romero. Uh, once, obviously, he has the all clear from the concussion protocols. 
do you think that responsibility will, will improve his game, will, will up his game a bit, with a bit, give him a bit more maturity? Well, and I think what also helps is the World Cup's out of the way now. Mm. Been there, done that, you know, so what's he got now? <laughs> All right, yeah, he's got a Copa America at the end of the season, but he's climbed, that mountain has been climbed. Uh, time to focus on 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 week in week out. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm hoping for for a, a really strong Christian Romero. I'm, I'm not as wild in him as Summer. I think he's he's the best centre back that Argentina has come up with in a long while, which unfortunately isn't saying a great deal. You know, it, it's it's been a position, and it nearly cost him right at the end of that World Cup final. You know, that was nearly that was nearly the narrative of the of the World Cup final that the centre backs let them let, let let them down again. Mm. Um, but as someone who, who who grew up with 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 Aussie, uh, I, I love having an Argentine in the side. I wish, and I, I've often thought that this is one of the big historic mistakes the club made when Aussie was coach. We instead of buying all of those strikers, we should have become the entry point for Argentine midfielders mm-hmm. uh, because it, it just fits. It fits who we are. I think that that's one of those many mistakes that meant that we missed that sliding door just as the Premier League was 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 really taken off. And mm. we spent so long playing catch-up as, as, as a consequence. And you thought we were there, you know, a few years ago. You thought the catch-up process had all done, you know, it's all there, stadium. And these last few years have been really, really disappointing, haven't they? Mm. So that, that's what I'm looking for this year, a year that just helps us get back on track for the future. Yeah, great. All right, we've been going over an hour now, so let's get your predictions in. Let's start with you, Rachel. What do you think the score will be against United on Saturday? Oh, God. Um, um, I mean, I am an incredibly optimistic person. Um, I am. I, there's no point not being optimistic. Um, I'm going to say 3-1. And the one will only be because of VAR and... Handing Man United something. <laughs> yeah, it always happens. Tim, what are your predictions? One of my favourite memories is it's not long before the 1990 World Cup where there wasn't any blanket TV. And where Gaza, before that World Cup, he was still our little secret, you know. He, he kind of belonged to us. Mm. And it was only in the World Cup that the, the nation just realised how incredibly good he was. But it was just towards the end of that season where you could see he'd been he'd been injured. He'd had, he'd, I think he'd broken an arm or something like that. So he'd had an injury layoff. But at the end of that season, looking forward to the World Cup, he was absolutely on fire. And one of his finest performances was at home to United. Uh, it was we won two one, but it was one of those those moments when you know you're in the pre, in the presence of something really great. Every time he got the ball, the stadium went quiet. You know what's he going to do now? And it was all brilliant. So, in in, in tribute to him, we're going to win two one. <laughs> and who's going to be the Gaza? <laughs> ah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's going to come from where where we least expect it. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe well, this is Madison's home debut, isn't it? In 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 serious action. Yeah, I won't disagree with that. Um, I watched the United game. I agree. They they weren't great in the midfield. If we can if we can win that battle, which I think with Basuma looking on really good form at the moment. I think there's a good chance we will. So we're going to have fingers crossed for a 2-1. But you know, it's United. They always seem to just do something annoying against us. I can, I totally agree with the VAR decisions going to happen at some point. I'm going to go with Rachel. I'm going to go 3-1. All right, let's wrap things up. Uh, so Chi says, again, do remember to join the protest. If you're listening and you're going to the game, you're listening in your thousands. We know many of you go to the games. 
please join the protest. This is important. We are pricing out fans that have been going to the games for years. We're pricing out the new next generation of fans, as Tim said earlier. So please join this. You can go an hour without drinking neck oil, 3.45 to 4.45. Let's stop the ticket price rises. Make our voices heard. This is Let's do what we can. Together, we're stronger. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Tim, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, a pleasure and an education. And uh, Rachel, more power to your collective elbow room. <laughs> thank you very much. See you all for the weekend pod, Saturday, Sunday, some point. Yep, do look out for that. And the YouTube out Friday nights. And as ever, come on you Spurs. Come on, come you, on Spurs. you Spurs. Come on you Spurs. Sports Social Podcast Network.